Welcome to week five of Principle-Centered Leadership and Ethics Podcast. My name is Eric Bertolasio, and this week I'll be discussing questions two or two questions from chapter 10 and a question from chapter 11. So let's jump into it. First, the question um, from chapter 10. Describe the stages of team development. How would you facilitate a team's development through each stage? Step 1. Forming a team. For many, this can be the most difficult step. In this stage, this is where a group of people who may not know each other uh, have to get to know each other. Chances are good that you'll be dealing with different many, type, different, many different personality types. On top of that, forced conversations are miserable. We've all been there. Um, I've been there many times where I'm asked to stand up in front of a group and describe myself and say something, one thing interesting about myself to a room full of people who aren't really paying attention. While introductions are a necessary part of team building, personally, I prefer the idea of having individuals start by speaking to each other one-on-one. Then, once everyone gets to know each other on an individual basis, I would use games and competitions to allow and break the team up into smaller teams so that they can start working together on a smaller basis and then gradually build up to the full team working together to try to solve certain tasks. Step two is called storming. During this time, disagreements will arise. This is an important time because it requires the team to learn how to argue with each other. With conflict comes resolutions, though. And resolutions bring us to our next step, which is norming. During this time, order is established. The team starts to learn how to work together as roles become clear. Conflicts resolve and leaders emerge. Usually this period is pretty quick and the team moves to the fourth step, which is performing. Performing is when the team starts to really work on accomplishing the goals. Problems are solved much more quickly and focus is on task completion. So there's less focus on arguing, less focus on conflict, and more, okay, how can we get this done? Once the tasks are completed, the adjourning takes place. The team is disbanded, and possibly other teams are created for new projects. At this point, I do like the idea of having some sort of celebration for the conclusion, especially if it was a particularly difficult project or there was a lot of conflict or, um, you know, things like that. Uh, Throwing a little party, handing out or having, handing out awards, an awards ceremony, um, and just overall letting the team know that they were really appreciated for their hard work and, for what they did um, during that time. So at that point, um, you know, that would bring the team and 
the project to a close. So, I think the focus for me in this five steps would definitely be the introductions. Step one, the forming of the team. Um, you know, that's going to be the most difficult time. And I think that's the time that you can really get people to get to know each other, get to know how to work with each other. And that will set the base and foundation for a successful team project. All right, the next question is from Chapter 11. Discuss ways in which low power distance as a social value among followers could affect their interaction with the leader who displays high power distance. But first, let's establish what low power distance and high power distance are. Uh, low power distance believes in a more equal spread of power between leaders and followers. They believe that the followers are more on the same level level as the leaders. Whereas a high uh, power distance is when you believe that there should be a gap between power, between leaders and followers. Uh, usually, you know, you could have it in any any circumstance. You can have workers who believe that the, um, or followers, we'll say followers. You can have followers that can believe in a high power or a low power. Not every follower wants to be on the equal uh Plain as a leader, uh, you can have leaders who want it to be a, a low power. You know, they want um, everyone to feel more like equals. And you see this, you see this a lot more nowadays in corporations and businesses, where they treat everyone more equally. In this scenario, you've got the follower who believes they should be on the same uh, level as the leader and you've got the leader who thinks that the follower should be understand that you know there's a, a power gap there so the real problem in conflict here would be um, the follower may address the leader in a way that the leader will find disrespectful. The leader will kind of think that the follower is stepping out of line. The leader could possibly think that the follower is trying to cause problems. And really the leader may just see the follower as a thorn in their side because they are thinking and acting like the leader and the leader thinks that they're the leader so I could see that this type of scenario you could see this in this scenario being um, very negative for this relationship between the leader and follower the uh, follower I think would be much better served understanding how the leader sees things and how the leader b believes and I'm not saying that they have to just fall in line and listen and do as they are told but if you understand how your leader 
responds, then you can learn how to address them. And I think that you would have more influence and a, and a louder voice with the leader if you are addressing them in a way that they don't find as disrespectful. So, with that, week five is concluded. Two questions, each from chapters 10 and 11. Thank you for listening, and I will be back next week.